Hi, my name is Roy Collin and welcome to the show. I've also got five podcasts, The Awakening Podcast, Exposing Fraud and Corruption, but with solutions, the crypto podcast on about all things blockchain, NFTs, crypto, the meditation podcast, talking about all different types of meditation, but there's also meditations there from one minute to two hours. And the other one is the Learn Polish podcast. So if you're interested in learning Polish, you can do that. And the other one is speaking with Roy Collin, and I just have guests from around the world talking about either public speaking or also about their book or just general life in general. And you find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. I'm also a podcasting coach. And you see the QR code there, and it's also on my link as well. And if you're interested in actually going on some podcast shows, I'm helping people doing that. Or if you're interested in sponsorship, you can contact me. And I'd like to thank my sponsor, danielpacker.com. He helps people with anxiety, stress, and addictions. He's got a 90% success rate, and you only pay if you're successful. So be sure to check him out, danielpacker.com. I hope you enjoy this week's show. Welcome to the Crypto Podcast. You'll find all our episodes on thecryptopodcast.org. My guest today, he's a blockchain hedge fund manager, but he's also a podcaster. Please welcome Jake Collis, who's got some ancestries from my beautiful Irish country. <laughs> Thank you for having me on, Roy. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk all things crypto. It is a, a passion of mine and has been for, for a long time. I'm super obsessed with it. I kind of take a different approach, though, that hopefully your audience will appreciate. I look at the um, the fundamentals of software as an architecture and solution design first, and then we assess price and other things. So I'm more of a fundamentalist investor, which is uh, uncommon from what I can tell than um, the space at large, at least in terms of content and things. So super excited to get uh, dirty in the details, man. So I suppose you might tell me first, you're kind of... You're- Crypto journey, how it all began for you? Well, um, it started off young. I had a software development company at the time, and I need to I needed to wire uh, sixty grand to Islamabad, Pakistan, and I had never done it. I was in college; I was nineteen. All right, and that was my payroll for the next three to six months, and. I can't I can't really say the bank, but I I pulled up trying to wire this money, cash the check, meet with the banker because it's more than ten thousand dollars. That's a big deal. And um they held me in the bank for over an hour until the FBI came and asked me what I was doing, wiring funds to um a terrorist friendly state and things like that. And it it traumatized me and I was like there's got to be a better way. I immediately that day became a borderline anarchist. Like I was like, this is, this is not cool. This is my business. Like, I don't know how this happened. I mean, I sat there for over two hours total with the FBI and the banker waiting. They like locked me in the room. And that's when I discovered Ripple, you know, Ripple Labs, frictionless cross-border payments. I was like, huh, the one time I tried a cross-border payment, I experienced a lot of friction. Sounds like an interesting problem to be solved. And uh, that that really, that was back in 2015, 2016, when Ripple Labs just had a white paper, not even a, a real Ripple network yet. And I've just been hooked since. Um, I've been in and out of the market. You know, I'm long-term cyclical trader. So I pretty much am out of my accumulation phase at this point. Um, just waiting for this next bull market to hit. I'll take profits and then I'll sit on cash and and have different yield strategies until we get another bear market. So I'm very long-term, very patient in that way. But I, yeah, 2017, or I guess it'd be more like 2016, really, um, struggling to make foreign payments and cross-border payments really sent me over the edge. So, I mean... I see it all the time. They tell us what countries that you can't use for banking. And nobody thinks of the actual people living there because I know that sometimes, you know, like a lot of times the children move abroad and they want to buy like their washing machine or something breaks or whatever it is. And they can't even send the money back. And you have the likes of H- HBC or the, the English bank who are known to be money launderers. All of these banks are doing that. And there was actually another right. friend that I know as well. She was doing for a charity. It was like a go a go org dot org one of these kind of raise money for for a charity in in Iran, and they just took it away as it was halfway through the thing. And she had like a lot of money raised, 
And yes, it's like the people that are actually making all these decisions are the ones that are actually ruining the world. And it's like, I think crypto is probably a saving grace for some of them. But the problem is, it's very hard for a lot of people to actually understand, it, especially if you're kind of sending it to your parents, if they're in their 60s plus, not everyone will actually understand this and they panic and they might do something wrong and lose all their money. A hundred percent. Also touching on your point a little bit deeper here, like it's very difficult for people who live in industrialized civilizations like the UK, like the United States, like China, maybe less so in China because they're exposed to it more. But over half the world uh, is benefiting from this technology far more than these advanced civilizations. When you're in a nation where your currency is standard being inflated 10%, 20% a month, you genuinely understand implicitly the value of crypto, where you get paid 10,000 of your state nation currency for one month of work, and then next month it's 14,000 because for you to afford life, it increased that much in that period of time, where if you were to get paid the 10,000, park it in Bitcoin, get the 14,000, park it in Bit, and keep doing that and only cash it out when you need to pay your bills and things, you would be able to retain a lot of your wealth from the work you're doing. There's over 40 countries that are in this similar state where there's crazy inflation and accessibility is another thing. We take for granted how much trust we just you know natively put into our systems. We trust our government to issue a currency that is safe and secure. Like we, we just take a lot of things for granted. We trust the government to not go into our pocketbooks just to, you know, uh, they'll just print more money, which inflates our currency, but they're not going to steal from us. They're not going to send the military into our homes. There's a lot we take for granted that billions of people don't have. And this is a powerful technology for those individuals. Um, a lot of people don't even know that the 76% of LLCs, founders, and registered companies are outside of the United States in this industry. This is a global technology, and it's impacting anyone and every, you know, and everywhere. It's, it's quite profound. So you're absolutely right. People get stuck in that myopic perspective of, you know, it's, I don't really understand why it's important because like you have stocks and you have banks and you have CDs and you have bonds, you have all these options that a lot of people just don't have. With the likes of say Revolut and Waze, like you send me money, I send you money. It's instant. They don't really charge it. It's like I see Revolut now are just bringing in 0.7% or something like that. But when you compare to that to what the banks are doing, but that's a very simple system and it seems to be safe enough. Like without all these keys and wallets and stuff like that, if if it was to be done like that, I think that would make life so much easier, especially for those that don't get it, you know, that it's too complex for them. Absolutely. And, and we're not going to get mainstream adoption until the average Joe that uses it doesn't even know it's a token. The average Joe doesn't know it's a wallet. That's really hard for people to extrapolate on a longer time horizon. But the reality is everything that we're talking about right now are internet protocols. Like no one, no one cares what SMTP is, right? IMAP, POP3, but we use them all day. And these are like open source protocols. What we're trading are tokens on a protocol. We're not even at the application layer yet. We've barely hit a broadband um, situation with Ethereum. Like no one will know, well, we'll know, you and I will know, but our parents, back to your example, will not know which network they're on, which piece of infrastructure they use to get a CD or where that the actual underlying tokens may be placed, could be in a compound yield farm, it could be somewhere, and you wouldn't know. All you think you're doing is getting a CD, or it could be just a yield product that they change all of the names to, right? And then in the back end is all this stuff that we're investing in. It's very difficult for people to understand that it's hard to get application layer exposure, like investing in Amazon or Microsoft or Apple, the consumers of this technology. Right now, the industry is being built from the ground up. And a lot of these tokens are representative of that infrastructure. So on the long tail of this technology being adopted, 
no one will know what's going on. It, it, there, it will be completely interoperable. It will not matter what network the, or what stack the, the innovator built their application on. At the end of the day, everything's going to be on-chain. And I, I don't even think a distinction between on-chain and online will exist 20 years from now. It's just going to be the, the standard operation of information technology in general. You know that El Salvador has kind of embraced Bitcoin. But the things that annoy me in life is I always follow the money and look at the different things. I look at Visa, I look at MasterCard, taking approximately 3% from every transaction. And you go, yeah, no wonder they're, they're funding like UEFA World Cup and all this, like, you know, and they're ripping off the, the local shop that, you know, it's different for the Amazons yeah. and all that. They probably don't have to pay anything. But then if I look at PayPal, like I got a payment there just recently and it was $600 and they took because the guy must have said, yeah, let me pay for the fees. They took 23.9 or something like that dollars. I was like, what? So then I had to send money to somebody else. Like, and I said, okay, I'll pay for the fees. And they still charged yeah. the person I sent it to. And I was like, what? You're joking. So if there's 10 of us doing business for each other, they're getting 100% of the money and they're doing nothing. And it just annoys me so much because they freeze accounts. They start looking for a million yes. questions. They are the most horrible organization, plus the currency spread. Most people don't even understand that. They are charging. Right. They have a wallet just for those that don't know. You have to have a primary wallet. So the wallet can be either in dollars, euros or whatever. And if somebody's paying you in a different one, which a lot of people around the world are getting paid in a load of different currencies, you're not changing it based on, oh, he's going to send it now. So then they actually converted for you at their rate and they're taking usually about 4% on that. Then when you want to send it, they're doing the exact same again. It is sick that they're allowed to get away with this. And that's what I want to see blockchain to knock these guys out of the way. They should be all arrested for the crimes that they're committing. 100, 100% man. It, 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 that is the, it's one of the three major points of blockchain, but decentralization in a trustless environment destroys that. What we are accepting, what you just described, is we're accepting all of these terms that PayPal can enforce frivolously because it's in the privacy policy in the terms of service when you actually make an account. They own you. The second you put your faith in their software, it's their intellectual property. They have all the rights in the world. If they don't like the cut of your jib, that could be 10% instead of three. It could be 12. They, they could genuinely change it at any point. They could lock all your funds. That's happened to me in businesses I own where... We have a lot of deposits and they're worried about someone requesting a refund, right? So they will just freeze your funds with no warning. And, it, and the, the hold could be an indiscernible amount of time. It could be 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. They feel it out. Especially if you have one bad review out of 50, you're done. Those funds will not move for a month minimum. So it's like... They are moving. They're using it to trade their money. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I was about to hit on that. Yeah, absolutely. They're holding it, getting a yield, and screwing you is what they're doing. And that's what the banks are doing too, man. You walk into a bank and you tell them you want the 50K cash. See how long that takes. You know, if you just want the cat, like it'll take a minute, just 50K. Imagine you're wealthier and you, you, want, a, you want 250, 300, like whatever it is, like good luck. The money's not there. They fractionally reserve it. You give them a hundred bucks, they're going to loan out 190. That's how it works. The money's not even there. Most of these banks are in unrealized losses. There's so many things that are going on in this world. But one thing for sure is, is the lack of decentralized trust. We have to trust PayPal to transact with one another because of the nature of the internet as it stands today. There's no way to create a safe, trustless environment to transfer value without blockchain. It's the encryption. It's it's how everything gets consensus and approves a transaction. I don't need to know you. I don't need to know who owns the infrastructure I'm sending stuff on. I don't need to know anything because I know it's safe and encrypted the second I use it. I know it's in, immutable. I know that it's secure. Uh, and that's why DAOs are so popular as a structure. And there's so many, there's so many things that spiral out of blockchain protecting these transactions that for the minuscule fee, it, I, I mean, you're not going to pay 
three percent plus another four percent. You're not you're not going to leave an exchange minus or down seven percent in crypto. You're just not. Um, unless it is like peak of the bull, and we all are trying to mint a board eight. You know, like then maybe that congestion will be expensive, but otherwise it's a lot cheaper and safer. People just don't understand the technology yet. And realistically, back to my first point here, they're not going to need to know, man. They're not going to need to care. They're not my, our folks 10 years from now aren't going to be worried about, oh, my, my wallet, private keys. I genuinely believe all of that will be sorted because it has to be for a seamless user experience. Has to be. If we want a billion users, that's, that's one of the things that needs to happen. And that all comes in time. You mentioned Bored Ape. And for those that are actually maybe listening, I encourage you because I have the video will be going out on Spotify, YouTube and Rumble. He's got a fantastic setup, but I can see the Bored Ape in the background. So is this, what's your thoughts on Bored Ape? Have you invested in it or do you think it's uh, worth the money? I personally do not have a Bored Ape. I have some like Ape derivatives, like stoner ape club i th i thought was really cool um and there you know there are some nft projects that are genuinely legitimate i i think it's the same thing as the tokens man like it's so saturated and 99% of this stuff is vaporware there's almost 24,000 tokens on mazari there's probably more that don't even make a contract address to get to mazari and of that, there's probably 500 to 800 legitimate projects, right? And of those, less than half will last five, 10 years, you know, just, just for the nature of business and entrepreneurship. And I feel the same way about NFT projects. You're always going to have the blue chips, the guys that have genuinely followed their roadmap and locked enough value like Board Ape, like regardless of the NFT they are using that membership to secure billions of dollars of assets, right? They have hotels, they have yachts, they have things that are uh, secured, at least access to those things and ownership secured through smart contracts. So I don't think they're going anywhere unless we're in like a World War III situation and those assets get bombed or aren't worth anything, right? But the majority other of these NFT projects, they don't have any equity built into their tokens, and they are not going to be worth your time to hold. The few that have captured equity, I don't see them going anywhere. As long as Ethereum stays alive, I believe they will as well. And people chasing a 1,000x returns by buying pictures will never go away. Uh, human nature loves to gamble. And... Um, We'll always have these degenerate behaviors, but I don't, it, me as a value investor, I have zero interest in holding anything for a minimum of five years, which is a threshold uh, criterion for me as an investor. So if you're buying a board, a, enjoy it, you know, no different than like a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, just enjoy it, you know, like get into the chat room and talk to Sha Shaquille O'Neal's uh, media manager, talk to Ellen's media manager, get invited to the comedy shows in Vegas and wherever else, like go to their yacht, enjoy it. But I, I would not look at it as anything other than just having fun and a potential investment. Um, but I would not I hold my bag there personally. Is there any platform that you have found for the NFTs that you think is better than the rest? Um, so no, but I want to take the answer a little bit different direction. I'm a big fan of the seven to one token standard. Remember, I'm a fundamentalist. So I think it's interesting that that token standard was used for those pictures. You know, like I just, I think that is the strangest thing ever i would have never have guessed that you know um looking into can you explain what you mean by seven to one yeah, yeah i was gonna say yeah, for the listeners at home there are different kinds of token standards you could think of them as almost like 
file types for your operating system, right? So let's say Ethereum's your operating, and the techies just leave me be. I'm trying to help normal people understand this. Let's just say Ethereum is your operating system and an ERC20, which would be Ether, right? Or Compound, Aave. These are all 20s or ERC20s. You could think of those as like a text file, very standard, right? So like if you're opening up an email and you're using Microsoft, right? The OS is going to be able to read that email. Um, and then like 721 is a different kind of token standard or a different file type. Maybe that would be a, a PPT or a PowerPoint, right? Um, and that PowerPoint is a file that's created by an application called Microsoft PowerPoint. And your operating system can read that file and open it up inside of PowerPoint. That's technically how it works. On Ethereum, a 721.11.55, there are a bunch of different token standards, and, and not just on Ethereum, any network, there's a bunch of different token standards. 721 specifically stands for a non-fungible token, which is an NFT, which is what everyone seems to associate with JPEGs and everything else. But 721s can encapsulate any file type, not just JPEGs or PNGs. It could be audio, video. Uh, it could be immersive VR experiences. You can wrap any file type inside of a 721 token standard. So the fact that people made just digital art and, and, and use this technology is pretty interesting to me. I think there are a lot better use cases that we will see on the long tail of adoption uh, that will be very valuable. For example, you could verify your identity with your state nation via thumbprint, driver's license, KYC, basic stuff. And then that wallet could be tied to your identity. And then inside of that wallet, you could have every single state document on, like verifiably yours. And it could be on a private chain. So it wouldn't be public information. But if you ever got pulled over, you're ever in the bank, you ever need anything, your birth certificate, social security card, driver's license, boating license, hunting license, you name it, it could all just be NFTs on your wallet that is invariably you. Right. And that that would be super valuable because right now in America, if you lose some of those documents, it's a very big deal. Um, dealing with the government agencies and transacting those, updating those documents, everything else, like they could literally auto renew and, and burn tokens in your wallet to renew your license every year. Like it could be instant. Right. Or another example could be audio files, MP3s for an artist. Tory Lanez did this, but. He released 100,000 units of an album and he released them for a dollar and they traded up to where his fans that got in first were making tens of thousands of dollars because they owned one of 100,000 versions of that album. And that is the only amount of versions ever. And they can copyright it. They have one 100,000th of equity share in that album. There's just a lot of really cool things that you can do with 721. I am shocked that we basically just made pictures with it. So I don't know. I wouldn't have guessed that, but I am bull. I am a bull on non-fungible token standards. Uh, very much so. They're going to change our lives, but the, this picture of a monkey, that's not going to do much for anyone. <laughs> so you, for the rich. You mentioned about um, like how beneficial it would be, you know, like your birth certificate, driving license, all these different things. And people don't realize that this is all orchestrated to take money out of you and to to waste your time because you have to go and collect a document from a government department to bring it to another government department. And this is around the world. When you think of it, it's all stupid. And how many hours and how much money have you spent in your life doing this thing? Absolutely. That, that and so much more. I mean, they... They use it to control you in, in parks. They use it to um, make sure they know your every move. Yeah, I mean, I I hate it. But if that's going to happen regardless, I'd like it to be at least, at a minimum, convenient for me. You know, like at least make it convenient. If you're going to bend me over, you know, at least treat me to dinner first. Hey, please, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. I totally agree. It's 
it'll be a long time before any of these problems are solved. Like they still fax in the government here, at least. I don't know about the UK and Ireland, but they literally still have fax machines. So I, I don't know how long it'll take for them to have smart contracts. <laughs> but at least in, in, in my lifetime, you know, maybe when I'm 50, 25, 30 years from now, I'll be able to have a smart contract license. Hopefully it's sooner, but you know, there's just a lot of a lot of use cases with NFTs that are really you should be very bullish on that in general. And um part of my analysis, just just touching on it, is looking at different layer one infrastructure that is optimized for different token standards and different use cases. So it's important to know like Ethereum smart contracts are going to be a lot slower than Solana just in general, right? Um, and and trying to understand how the market breaks down into other use cases. Like it's really difficult for people to one, grasp what we talked about at the beginning of this episode. Just like, what is a wallet? What is blockchain? Like, you know, why do I need Bitcoin? Like all that stuff. But furthermore, like breaking down into the difference between permissioned and permissionless and private and public blockchains and how they could play out. A lot of people will write off something because it's private and they won't understand that enterprises do not want their data on a public permissionless blockchain. That's proprietary information. What I bought the 10,000 sneakers from China for, uh, let's say I'm Nike, I don't want Adidas to know that. I don't want anyone to know that I paid $6 a unit and I'm selling them for 150, right? Like there are just things that trillions, tens of trillions of dollars of value that moves daily that does not need or, or should be on a public blockchain. So it's just hard for people to really understand the scope of what we're talking about half the time. So just don't write something off because you don't fully understand it. If anything, I'd say, look further, go deeper. So your hedge fund then, you might tell me, how it came about and like what kind of returns you're getting and the safety mechanisms in it. Yeah. So right now, as of today, I'm up 85% in this market, which I'm super happy about. Um, 85% in, in what term? Total growth, total return, like average portfolio return Okay. Um, this fiscal year, which is... Yeah, I was about to say, come on. That's it's 10 <laughs> times what you're getting. Like, you don't got to be coy about it. I know that's good. And I'm proud of that. It's taken a lot of time and energy to get that. Um, but it, it started with a little background on me. Like, I've been an entrepreneur since I was a little kid. I taught myself how to like just code and build PCs. I've been obsessed with the with computer science in general for a long time. And, you know, I had that software development company in college, Elosophy. And then I had a few different startups in the Cincinnati area throughout the years. And I've basically touched every role of the software development lifecycle uh, process, if you will. Like I've developed, I've tested, I've raised money, I've started companies, I've built development teams, I've brought them to market, you know, I've exited, I've done everything from cradle to grave in software development. So, and I'm an entrepreneur, it's, I'm pretty much unemployable. That's, I've, I've had to figure out how to make money myself. And um, in that journey, I've gathered a lot of successful friends and mentors that have helped me. And when I told them my next thing is just going to be going all in on crypto and I showed them my returns, especially when everything was just crashing, right? They were like, you could do this for other people, for us, and make a lot of money. And that happened probably last year where I started the journey of starting a hedge fund, you know, and it's been a lot of learning since then, but it really was just friends and clients and mentors telling me that I could really upgrade my efforts and level and get a higher yield on the same work and efforts I'm doing right now. So it was kind of a natural evolution, I guess, of me doing software development consulting the past 10 years or starting these companies and then investing in uh, on the side and just investing in startup software companies, because that's what crypto is. It's just software. Um, 
and it's all just kind of been a, a culmination or I guess combination of all my interests. Uh, I have a finance degree as well. So it's just, I've just always been infatuated with money and tech and this is where they come together. So it's, it, I think I was, I'm very fortunate and lucky to be in the the country I'm in to have the, the mind that I have and the interests that I have. It really is just kind of the, I believe it's the reason why I'm here. I believe it's my purpose. I've been Which, obsessed with money stuff since I was a like, like tiny man. I'm talking nine, 10 years old. Like with the regulation that's in America, which I find insane, but like, are you restricted to a certain state or can you do it nationwide or can you do it internationally? We didn't take international funds only because of international regulations. It is crazy. Like we would need an entity in your state nation for it to even make sense for us. And that can be costly and time consuming. So like if someone in Ireland right now wanted to give us money, unless they had an ability to do it stateside with a primary residence and everything else, we just couldn't take the money right now. Um, once we get to a higher AUM and we can afford that kind of structure where we'll have 30, 40 feeder funds in every country that we accept money from, that's different. That's how it kind of works. But Right now, it's just limited the United States investors. And with the regulations right now, we have a lot of very bullish news on that. You know, Ripple won, unequivocally won. They won initially. They won their appellate or their appeal. And now the case is done. Like the Supreme Court said, you can try again in 2025 to Gensler. But other than that, like, and if Ripple, XRP specifically, is not a security Nothing is. I mean, literally nothing. They're probably the closest to the definition of security. They are the closest to failing to do or passing the the Howey test. So it's quite. I'm not that worried about it, except for the stuff that's coming down the pipeline. It is likely that I would have to move operations out of America in the next 24, 36 months, depending on how the VPN, I, I don't know how well versed you are in our legal stuff, but th there's a few bills coming out. One, they're trying to wrap in a VPN ban into some TikTok legislation, which is crazy for like national defense and China and everything else. They're wrapping in some VPN stuff. That way people can't VPN to use TikTok. But realistically, if they put a, a threshold ban on crypto, and you can't access you can't access a VPN without risking five years in jail. You wouldn't be able to access crypto without risking your life in that way. There's crazy stuff going on, but as it is today, the government doesn't recognize these as securities or commodities, and it is a completely unregulated space. Although, led through enforcement, you know the judicial branch is definitely being served a lot of questions that they're going to need to answer in the next two years that have me concerned that plus the stable coin legislation that's going through um it all it all could come down pretty unfairly to america for a time and i think other countries will pass us in this realm um and then for me personally it just means i get to go move somewhere where there's a beach so i'm not too i'm not too hurt about it you know either way i'll just go pay zero percent income tax and one of 13 countries I can choose from with a decent beach and beautiful women. So I'm not too worried, but it would suck not seeing my family. Uh, I wouldn't like that. I'm a very like, I love my family. I, I I will die unless this place becomes like communistic. I'll die in my hometown. I never left it. I just love it here. I'm a small town guy in Ohio. So that'll hurt my heart. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, there's not much I can do. I really do not get fixated on things I can't control. What's your thoughts on uh, what they're going to do to Friedman from FTX? Oh, man. he's. Can I cuss on this show? Yeah. I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah. I'll just yeah, mark it fucked. explicit as good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. He's fucked, man. He's like, and he should be. Like, he's a fraud. He he is he is Enron. Like if, if anyone listening was, was around during Enron, it's that profound. He had to, he had a hundred and something entities that he shuffled 9 billion of customer deposits through and lied about what he was doing. He took your money and took it to DeFi, lost it all, 
and made it look like he was loaning and paying back and all this other stuff. When when, when actuality, he, he had no money. It was just paper. I mean, it it was not as long as Enron, but the the rise and fall are exactly the same. This has happened time and time again. He is a Bernie Madoff. He is he is a sociopathic liar and a fraud, and he's going to get exactly what's coming to him. And his parents too. Like I don't know if you looked at that at all, but his parents were deeply involved with him. So I, I think they're expanding the the list of all who who are culpable. But yeah, I mean, he got convicted. One of the fastest convictions for this national of a case, they were like, nah, I think they deliberated for six hours. Like, that's nothing. Maybe it was less than that, but it was the same day. He was like, yeah, guilty. Get him out of here. 130 years in jail. Right. So And so the the girl that was, I don't know what, they kind of had an RG setup or whatever, but she became kind of state rat or whatever. So is she just getting the good looking? Thanks very much. Or is she going to get some time as well? I have a feeling she'll get something. I don't know what it is. She cooperated completely. And they're very kind to people that do that, you know. Um, it really depends on her culpability. I've not read anything about her her role too much. I would say that's an area that I'm not as educated in. But I do know she ran some entities that took customer deposits. The question is, did she know they were customer deposits. I know that is the main thing. Like if, or if Sam lied to her, right. And said it was a loan or he borrowed it from his bank, whatever. It really depends on what her knowledge and understanding was at the time this all was going down. And I'm sure that's easily discernible through texts and emails. I'm sure they're working on that. Um, or they already know. And she has her deal. I, I really don't know. The case is over. So if we haven't heard anything about Caroline, I'm assuming she she's already been served with whatever she she deserved. Um, I don't know. I, I saw an interview and she was saying that he was raising something like 100 million and he was playing a game. But just listening to her, I don't know what her position was. She's supposed to be financial side or whatever. Like just listening to her straight away, any savvy investor wouldn't part with one dollar. So like... Crazy. To me, like the whole lot was orchestrated, like just for moving money around. It could be, you know, um, he took a lot of Democrat money there. There there always is like, a, you know, a, cons a conspiracy. I don't I don't really know. I, I think I think it all could be a ruse to try and. It, it was the main mover of legislation and, and enforcement actions taken by government the ftx was their moniker we're doing this because uh, ftx cannot happen again like we have to protect citizens and they're using that that thing that event as leverage for moving legislation and painting a narrative of crypto that's disgusting so which, very well which is why i think the whole lot was orchestrated because they always you know problem solution here we come we're saving today like they've done for the rest of our lives in us it's just a big old uh what what did Caesar say, right? Food and circus, baby. Um keep us fed and keep us distracted, and they can do whatever they want. So it's it's very likely that it was orchestrated and Sam was the perfect, you know, for all I know, he was the perfect mark and he's being played. I don't know. Um maybe there's a situation where he really didn't know and he's not lying. And this was all orchestrated by someone else and he was the scapegoat. I mean, I don't know. I don't particularly care because I know what I, I only focus on what I do know. And that is I can go on to GitHub right now and look at this technology. I can look at the Ethereum Foundation and see over a thousand people contributing lines, tens to hundreds of thousands of lines of code every day, improving this infrastructure so it can be used. I know this technology is real. I know its capabilities are real. I can see it, feel it. I can almost hear it humming as people are building and growing. I don't really care what the opinion, what the opinion of the public is. The only thing that it affects, the only thing is price, right? I talk about that a lot. Price of an asset is just the cumulative opinion the masses have on that asset. And that's derived by the quality information that's circulating. So in short, 
whatever story is accepted by the average Joe, that is what the price will reflect. Bitcoin's immutable, right? It traded at eight one thousandths of a cent. It has not changed since then. We've built some layer twos on top of it, but ultimately the code has not changed. What has changed? Just the collective opinion on the asset. That is it. So I don't particularly care what most people think about really anything, but especially this stuff, because I just know eventually people will come to the same understanding that everyone else has if they look at it long enough. And I guess 15 years isn't long enough, but maybe 30 is. And I'm young and patient, so I don't really care how it happens. I just know it's eventually going to. So I don't, I don't fret too much about a lot of those things. Um, I, I'd say price is maybe 5% of my analysis in total. like to ask my guests who they think uh, created Bitcoin. Everybody seems to have a different answer. I'd love to know yours. Hmm. For just for fun, it'd be cool if Putin did it. <laughs> like, like, I feel like I've heard that Putin, as well. I've already heard that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if he came out and was like, hey, but like, because I think he's dying. That's why he's doing this Ukraine thing. I think the internet has beat his ego down with how many memes and like my, at least the United States, we have done nothing but make him look like a soft grandpa. I see memes with him like hitting a vape pin with all of his biker friends. And like, we just, we make fun of Putin a lot. So I think he's got a terminal diagnosis. I think he wants to remind us that he is not to be messed with. Right. And, uh, I think before he dies, it would just be cool, like on his deathbed, like I am Satoshi Nakamoto. And like the KGB made it, you know, like it wouldn't change how awesome it is, but it would definitely create some awesome buying opportunities. If Putin came out, I would be buying the living shit out of it if Putin was the guy. Uh, on, on a, I guess a more serious note, because I have thought about it a lot. It could be the NSA or some form of intelligence agency that it, it was created as an alternative for um, basically what happened in 08. If you think about the timing of it in America and, and globally, but in America, the recession hit us really hard. There weren't many accessible options. And I think if they were trying to, for some reason, you know, steal liquidity and, and provide disarray and 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 remove control from state nations bitcoin would be a great way to do it and... i put up a video on that that the nsa in 2006 had a white paper and it, it, yeah, it with... kind of adds up but i mean that's you can see that like it's not as if somebody just fabricated that like you know there's links and all right. for that yeah i mean they they definitely were talking about um digital cash for a long time you can find documentation going back to the 90s about it so definitely has always been like in computer science a lot of these principles that blockchain hit on have been discussed in depth in in our field for a long time another thing i talk about a lot is people don't understand that distributed computing has always been theoretically greater than centralized computing always the problem is Moore's law. The technology had not been there for it to be even remotely feasible. But now we're all walking around with supercomputers in our pocket, creating the retail investor, almost democratizing accessibility to high computability and storage. So like in the 90s, someone walking around with the amount of computation and storage this thing has, that, that impossible, didn't exist. But now, you know, we can take a fractional share of that using tokens as a unit of compute and storage and we can power distributed platforms like we never really thought but theoretically metcalf's law states that distributed computing is faster better etc and it's never been disproven you can look at the the advent of the telecommunications networks as a way to kind of compare the two in terms of adoption but you know it's no different than them talking about digital cash being like necessary and 
they talk about it in the 90s. They talk about distributed computing in the 80s and 2000s. But really, until we hit a certain point of hardware and societally we get so ingrained in technology, it never made sense, right? But now someone for two grand can support a network, right? Which isn't a lot of money in, in the grand scheme of things. The same amount of computing would have cost in $100,000 back in the 90s, right? Two grand, they can support a network and get paid to do it. Volunteers for profit. And it's all encrypted, like cryptography had to get there. There's a lot that had to happen. And it all timed up really well. Maybe it's coincidence. Maybe it's intentional. I don't really know. But again, what I do know is these principles are, are just as solid as gravity. In, there's no guesswork in computer science. There's no gray, gray area. There's no interpretation. It's either two plus two equals four or you're wrong. And a lot of these things are, are invariably true. Uh, they've not been disproven in 40 or 50 years. So these are reliable laws of infrastructure and, and networks that you can depend upon to make good decisions. And I, if it was the NSA, they made a great product that I am glad exists, you know, and I don't, again, I don't care who owns it. If it was the NSA, cool, because I know it's immutable. I know it can't change. It's there. They let they open the Pandora's box. There's no back doors. I mean, it just if they made it awesome, there's a ulterior motive that we're now privy to. Maybe they want to strip governments of control. I don't know. The idea of us not needing a state nation currency and their infrastructure to exist, that would scare the living shit out of a government. So they're the ones that overthrow governments. Maybe it was them. And just uh, finally, I know you've uh, started a podcast uh, not so long ago, uh, Crypto Classroom. You might let us know what it's about. So my partner at the fund, Steve, he is a he's our target demographic. So someone who is an accredited investor or just someone with a high income and is educated, like understands things about the world, but is clueless about crypto. And basically, before we start the episode, I think of a question like, what is a token? And I ask him it. And depending on how shittily he tells me what it is or just says, I can't do it. I go, all right, we'll do an episode on that. And I'll sit there with him five or 10 minutes and think of an analogy that makes sense for him, like an easy thing to grasp. And then once he thinks I found it, I stop there and we hit record. And then I genuinely teach him what a token is. I teach him the fundamentals of the technology because he's our director of operations. I have complete control of the fund and investment decisions. So his role is different than mine. He doesn't need to understand the technology, but he understands a lot about tax incentives for our investors, entity structures, hedge funds. He's been setting up funds and all that stuff for a long time. So we just respect each other's roles in the, in the organization and I do my best to help him better understand stuff. And then the listeners can learn alongside Steve. And we conclude the episode essentially when Steve has an aha moment, the light bulb flicks on and ideally the audience followed along with him as well. So you would tune into our podcast to better understand your investments. Even when we have guests on, our goal is to extract something specific for you to walk away with educationally. We had someone on with an e-commerce NFT loyalty program. And the aha moment for Steve was the infrastructure will not be obvious. So you won't know that coupon you got from the store that it's an NFT, ideally. And that was the aha moment for people to understand, like, it's all still really shitty user experience. And it's going to take time to build past that. But here is a really good use case for the 721 token standard. Loyalty programs on e-commerce. What does that look like? You know, you buy the NFT, you get 10% off any item in the store. Why would they do that? What's the incentive? I try to drill down into the fundamentals of not why you would invest in that individual's company, ShopX, but... That was Eric McHugh, you... wasn't it? That... Yes, Eric yeah, McHugh. He, yeah. yeah, he's been on my show as well. Yeah, very good. Yeah, he's a smart guy. Um it wouldn't be just investing in his company, but it would be 
when I'm looking at different use, like when I'm looking at people, builders, innovators, uh, a token, something that just came out, and you're reading that they do something in e-commerce with 7.2, I want you to understand what that is. And I want you to at least be able to ask yourself a question of, is this, does this make sense? Is this possible? And you can't do that without the fundamentals. I just, my mission, my passion with the podcast and me coming on here with me making the content I make every week is helping people understand this stuff because I believe I have a grasp on it that few have. And I believe that it can dramatically improve their life if they really understood this stuff because they're going to be calm, man. When it's down 70%, they're not slicing their wrists, you know? They're not They're not like, oh my, I'm, you know, because they understand like it's not going anywhere. It just means that the average person thinks it's worth less today. Like that's all that means. You, if you understand what this stuff is, you're going to have way better mental health. You're going to be able to make good investment decisions and change the trajectory of your family's life. I really believe that. I have done it myself. So I just want to help people with that as much as I can. And that's what the crypto classroom is. It's the longest form content I make where we touch every detail and hopefully you walk away with a deep understanding of whatever that episode was. Excellent. Listen, Jake, totally enjoyed the conversation and I'd love to get you back in Q1 because I, there's a lot of things we can touch and I love the way you explain things. You might let, let people know where they can find you. Yeah. So if anyone's one, thank you for that. I also have enjoyed this and I'd love to come back anytime. Um, and then two, for anyone listening, JT knows things on any platform. Uh, that'll take you to my link tree uh, in any bio. From there, you'll be able to look at all of my companies, all of my work, the history I've discussed on this podcast, which you should do. You should always research the people you're listening to, please. And um, reach out about anything. Uh, even if it's you, you, you know, you're not accredited, you just want to help understand something, please reach out because I'll turn that into content, could have you on the podcast because we really do want to educate and teach people and help people. So reach out with anything. Um, it will not be a waste of my time or a burden to me. I would love to help you with anything you have going on. JT knows things. So I think after this conversation, we all think you know things. So thanks very much, Jake. <laughs> Thanks, I, I, I'll make sure, no problem i'll make sure that I put the links both on the audio and the video so that's, awesome. that's all for the crypto podcast you'll find our episodes on the cryptopodcast.org until next week take care well, i hope you enjoyed this week's episode be sure to give us a thumbs up five star rating and share with your friends and you'll find all my shows with the qr code or bio.link forward slash podcaster as well as my podcast coaching and i'd like to thank my sponsor danielpacker.com helping people with anxiety stress and addictions he's got a 90 percent success rate and you only pay if you're successful also if you'd like to go on a podcasting tour i can help you do that and if you're interested in sponsorship you can contact me on my bio.link forward slash podcaster until next week take care